Hey guys, I'm Adam Rappaport, and you are listening to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. This week, we are talking about fish. First up, senior editor Emil Stonek, who also oversees our Basically website, uh, sits down with Sean Dimon. Uh, Sean is the founder and CEO of Sea to Table, which is an online delivery service for domestic and sustainable fish and seafood. Sean talks about how there's more of an understanding in this country around the importance of buying meat and poultry from sort of reputable sources. Uh, and it gets a little confusing with seafood. I, I think there's an issue of sustainability and what's good for you and what's line caught and what's wild and what's imported, etc., etc. Uh, and Sean does his best to clear that up for us, the average consumer. After that, food director Carla Lolly Music and I talk about how to cook fish at home, which I admittedly almost never, ever do. So I turn to Carla for some help, for some guidance. Uh, give me some techniques. Give me some recipes. Show me the way. Oh, wait. Just a reminder. Last week, we mentioned that we are starting a podcast newsletter in the near future. And we want to hear from you about what you'd like to see from us every week in that newsletter. So email bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com with your ideas. And don't forget to sign up for the newsletter. Uh, you can do so by going to tinyletter.com slash foodcast. That is tinyletter.com slash foodcast and enter your email address to get the newsletter delivered straight to your inbox. All right, let's do this. Here is Emil and Sean. Well, Sean, it's great to see you. It's great to see you. Um, so we're here to talk about fish. You are a fish man. You sell fish. You connect the people with the fish. Um, well, I, I think just to kind of kick this off, like, you know, we, at this point, it is not news that there is a difference between good fish. I'm just going to say good fish and bad fish. I know that's like the least complex way. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Good fish, bad fish. There's a lot of kind of like hand wringing and gnashing of teeth like in the grocery store, people trying to figure out like, is it supposed to be fresh? Is it supposed to be frozen? Is it supposed to be farmed? Is it supposed to be wild? There's the Monterey Bay Aquarium and their kind of like their app and their rating system and all of that. And also the fact that, you know, we understand now that good fish is expensive expensive or more expensive than bad fish. To me, the and I think for a lot of people, the question is still why? What is it that makes good wild-caught salmon from a sustainable fishery more expensive and worth spending money on versus, you know, whatever the less desirable version of that is? So, yeah, I don't know. Are you able to break that down for us a little bit? Like, why? Why is some fish more expensive than others? And why should I? why should I pay the money for it? All right, so part one of a seven-part question. <laughs> Excuse me. So you're hitting on a great point, is that I think consumers going to the supermarket or thinking about how to order fish at restaurants, it's really confusing. There's a lot of mis-messaging going on, and breaking it down between good fish and bad fish is definitely oversimplifying it, mm -hmm. but it's a good place to start. <laughs> and that's where we have to go with conversation in this country. And so when we think about good fish, we think about fish coming from a source that's healthy, sustainable, and delicious, right? Because right? fish has to taste good. Right. And I think a lot of people have had bad experiences with seafood or they've 
heard of other people having bad experiences with seafood. Yeah, I feel like there's always that like, ooh, somebody got bad, you know, they went to like that restaurant and the fish wasn't fresh and they got sick or there's like a, oh, you're ordering fish at that restaurant? Like that kind of thing. <laughs> yes, I, I, I think uh, it's pretty telling on a restaurant if they can do seafood really well or if a market can do seafood really well, they're going to do everything else really well because it's one of the hardest foods in its perishability and its sourcing and its pricing. Totally. So um, when we think about the good fish versus bad fish, right, again, we're thinking about where it comes from, how it was harvested, and how it got to you. Right. And it's not totally new. I mean, if we think about fish just as another protein category, right, think about chicken. Chicken really only came to kind of um, maybe a, a fork in the road 20 years ago where everybody was just buying commoditized chicken. Nobody had heard of these you know, these words antibiotic free or pasture raised or free range. Totally. It was just there was chicken. There was chicken. And I think the biggest choice you had to make was um, Tyson or Purdue. Right. 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 And no offense, guys, but I don't buy Tyson or Purdue any day of the week. Right. You know, I'm looking for chicken that carries a next level of standards. Mm-hmm. And that really came about because people cared and they started talking about it. And, you know, if you're lucky enough to have your local chicken farm near you, that's where you're going to get your chicken. Right, totally. And I think that's definitely like, you know, you see that same kind of like categorical like ex- and like explosion of terms in the seafood industry too. You know, it's like where at one point you just bought chicken. Then it's like, oh, do I get the kosher chicken or the antibiotic-free chicken or the pasture-raised or the free-range or the or does organic mean something and, and all of that. So it's I, I, I feel like that is a question, you know, in the seafood space, it's like, what are the what are the words that mean something? Right. You know, and, and what do they mean? It's just coming about now. So you know, the buzzwords: is it wild caught? Is it farm raised? Um, is it non-GMO farm raised? Where did it come from? What does sustainable mean? I don't think we've yet mastered all of these. But what we do at Seat at Table is we try to simplify the message. Everything we do is U.S. wild caught, sustainable and traceable. Those four words: domestic, so, wild traceable, sustainable. So what do those what do those words mean for you and how does that kind of impact both the like deliciousness of your product and also the the price point? Sure. So you know, domestic means it's coming from harvested within US waters and mm-hmm. we also do all of our processing at US shore-based processors. So that's a big deal because the US has the world's best managed fisheries. And that's a very clear line in that over 90% of the seafood we consume in this country is imported. Really? It's crazy. And Wait, what percentage? 90, over 90%. I think it's 91% of the seafood we consume in this country is imported. So where is it coming from? All over the world. A lot is coming from Asia, South America. A lot of it's farmed. A lot of it's coming from very dubious sources and wild fisheries that just don't have management that are so out there in the ocean. So places where people are just taking us you know, trawling and taking as much fish out of the ocean as they want. And there's no, there's no, there aren't quotas, there aren't standards. Take your worst idea of what you think that fish had to do to get to your plate and multiply it by 10. Right. The truth is really scary. Yeah. And it's, it's only starting now to really come to light. There's been a lot of news articles about things as tragic as slavery in the seafood chain, literally modern day human slavery. I mean, that's, that wouldn't be possible in any other major protein category that's already been brought to public consciousness. Right. That's like not a concern when you're trying to decide between like the conventional and the grass-fed beef. That's like, so that's something that you, 
is a real concern in seafood, just kind of not only like the traceability of the fish, but the labor practices. I mean, you're on the high seas, like whatever. That's just like a, I don't know. That seems like a big concern. Yeah. So, you know, thank you for inviting me in. I, I usually get invited when someone wants to talk about fish. So. <laughs> <laughs> Where your fish come from is so important. And usually what happens in the beginning of a conversation is you get scared. You kind of get driven away and you think, you know what, maybe I shouldn't eat seafood. Right. But you know you want to. It's absolutely delicious. Your doctor tells you it's healthy for you. When you eat it, you get a certain feeling. You know, you don't get full and heavy like you can do with other proteins. You get, you, you feel light and good. Totally. And, and that's something that I think more Americans want to do. And our job is trying to figure out how to teach and enable them to eat better fish. Right. So when we think about wild, domestic, sustainable, and traceable, um, we do wild fisheries because aquaculture is not yet there as an industry. And it's a very fragmented um, business that's more often than not coming from overseas. It's not always clear. There are good examples, but it's just not something that we have found the right supply partners to support under our name of Seed of Table. Right. So you're like, if you're getting fish from domestic fisheries that's being processed in the U.S. according to certain like labor standards, safety standards, all of that, and then also it's wild on top of that. You, that is a, a is better insure for you guys better insures the quality and the sustainability of that fish. We're dumbing down a very big complicated issue to right. a very simple message. And I think if you can go out there and you can find wild caught fish that was caught in the US, processed in the US, and it's coming from a place that you trust on the quality, you're in a really good place. You should be eating a lot of that fish and you found a good source. So wild US caught and processed, those are things that if you're if you're making that choice you're already in a better place than you are buying fish that comes from somewhere overseas. Uh, yes, I. You know, if if you're already that far along to be able to find uh, U.S. wild caught fish of a quality that you feel good about, you know, you're in the top ten percent. Because right. again, if ninety percent of the seafood in this country is imported, mm -hmm. you're already a top ten student. So I feel like that connects definitely to one of those other words that you were talking about, which is traceability. And is that, how does that play into the, those other categories that we're talking about? Traceability is, you know, it doesn't have to mean know the name of the fisherman right. or know the exact vessel it was caught off of. But basic information of country of origin is actually required by law. Mm -hmm. But too often that's actually miscommunicated and misplaced. Mm -hmm. um, when you go to buy fish or order fish, having a question on hand of where my fish comes from is... is a really simple request. Right. And people should, when they're serving or selling seafood, have that answer. We go all the way back down to the point of landing. Where was mm -hmm. that fish harvested? Where was that boat offloaded? That's really the beginning of the story. And oftentimes we can also name the vessel, name the captain. But right. just knowing where it was caught will tell you the management under which it was caught, the right. fishing gear in which it was caught. This is usually too much information for people. Right. right. But as a, you know, person in the business to us it's a minimum standard right absolutely and that's kind of like you know it, it does seem like there's you know kind of a supply chain issue where it's like if everybody is like passing this box of fish to another person being like oh yeah this is uh definitely from the u.s and it's cool and then it goes to another person who's you know they're all these kind of middlemen and it seems like what you guys are trying to do and part of the way that you're able to ensure that traceability is by kind of truncating that supply chain so that it's 
the the fish is coming from the fisherman to the dock to you and then to the customer. And it never actually comes to us. We do work with all of these awesome fishermen and commercial docks around the country and figure out how to get what they catch shipped directly to the markets that want them. So so we do. We're we're, we're eliminating steps in a long, convoluted chain. Ready? Blow your hat off facts. Okay. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm not even wearing a hat. Average miles of traveled for a piece of fish to a U.S. consumer? Okay. 5,000. 5,000 miles? Yeah. So So what does that look like? Is that like... Well, here's here's another crazy one. We catch a lot of fish very sustainably on our shores all around the U.S. A majority of what we catch is exported. (laughs) <laughs> it gets Wait, weirder. So we import all of our fish, and yes. then we also export all of our fish. We import over 90% of the fish we eat in this country. We export a majority of what we catch. Wait, why? Tell me that's not broken. No, it seems really broken, but I don't even understand why. Like, what? who's buying our fish? Okay, good example. We have species caught here off the northeast, like monkfish, mm-hmm. winter skate, spiny dogfish. We as Americans almost consume none of that fish, only a very small single-digit percentage. It's actually being packed up and shipped over to Italy, France, UK. Dogfish is what is in fish and chips in the UK. Really? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Julia Childs brought monkfish to the culinary scene in the U.S. Before that, the French were uh, laughing at us, taking the most beautiful fish in the sea, which actually is a really ugly fish. Very ugly fish. So what you're saying is a part of the reason we're in this kind of like broken, weird import-export situation that kind of just doesn't make sense on paper is because of the kind of fish that we eat? Because there's the fish that we are catching is not necessarily the fish that there's a demand for, that the American consumer is familiar with, knows how to cook, is excited about cooking. So it seems like a part of, of the way of fixing that calculus is for us to figure out, to create a demand for the fish that we are catching off yeah. of our shores. That's a big part of it. Um, we talk about underloved or underutilized species, like these fish I was mentioning, Acadian redfish, winter skate, dogfish. That would change a lot. Uh, Americans really only eat four basic types of fish. Imported farm salmon, imported farm shrimp, canned tuna, and a white fish, which usually turns out to be a tilapia or a bassa or a swai. Right. And broadening our our diet, looking at different species, would change a lot. It would change the markets of fish. It would change the ecology and the pressure on fishing species. Um, But that's a a big, big change to ask is to say, you know what? Instead of going to the supermarket and buying the salmon you always buy, how about we grill up some mackerel? Right. It's, it's a great place to go, but we need to start taking baby steps. Yeah, totally. What are the fish that you feel like, okay, so like I'm just, say I'm a person who I only eat farmed imported salmon, farmed imported shrimp, tuna, and mysterious whitefish. That's like what, I'm, what I know, what I'm comfortable with. What are some of the fish, these sort of underloved fish, that you think Americans could really get behind? So, let's see. The first thing I do, actually, is if you're saying you eat salmon, right? but you really don't know where your salmon comes from, you don't feel great about it, I'd say try to find a source for a wild-caught U.S. processed salmon. Like a, a certain website that you might use. You could, you could go into a supermarket and ask your retail counter. You can come to seatatable.com and come check us out. There's a number of them you can find online for home delivery. Mm-hmm. But what you're going to find is that that fish 
is going to be frozen because wild salmon isn't available year-round. Oh, so, okay. So this is a thing, too. So the whole fresh versus frozen. I go to the I go to the grocery store, and there's the fish counter, and there's all the ice, and there's this fish lying out on it. That fish is fresh, right? Sometimes. Sometimes it's refreshed, meaning it was frozen previously, and they either slacked it out at the distributor level or at the store level. It's not always clear. So that's, I mean, that seems like a weird thing. Like you go in and you're being sold, quote unquote, fresh fish, which I feel like that word means that, you know, we're like, ah, fresh. Fresh is better than frozen. (laughs) Yet what you're getting is actually frozen fish that somebody just thawed for you. Exactly. And it's just been sitting out in like a much more precarious state. Yep. And we say uh, frozen is fresher than fresh. Frozen is fresher than fresh. Frozen is fresher than fresh. And that's just because you're able to... Or, or your fishermen or your processors are able to freeze the fish shortly after it's caught and then send that along to you so that when you're thawing it, it is, you know, it's the freezing is just kind of suspending it in time. Exactly. I mean, you're trying to capture things at peak season, at peak freshness. Right. And the infrastructure, the freezing capabilities are amazing. I mean, we're talking about multi-million dollar liquid nitrogen tunnels, just shocking right. fish from being caught and then carrying it through a very controlled frozen transportation right? so that you can decide when to eat that fish. I mean, getting back to fear-mongering, which I, I'm just going in deep here. Go in, go in. If you think about where tuna comes from, it's fished in the oceans all over the world. right? And if they're laying out long lines in the South Pacific, these boats are out there harvesting almost every day of the year being refueled by motherships and offloading their catch to these motherships. Those motherships then go back to the nearest port, probably an airport, and that fish has to get flown from some major city to a U.S. market where it goes to maybe the Fulton Fish Market or or Seattle or L.A., a major port. Then it goes to a distributor, and then it will go to a restaurant or retailer. A tuna or swordfish can be three to four weeks out of the water and still be considered fresh. Right. So, and that's, but is it frozen on board? Is that what you're talking about? No. No, literally kept fresh. And that seems so bizarre. It does. But it's, and a, it's that's a, the, I don't, that's not the fresh, I feel like that, you know, when you think about like fresh to me, especially when it comes to fish is not three to four weeks old. It's crazy. But you know what? It's not abundantly clear. Yeah. You know, it's not being spoken of. It's not being advertised. Right. And I think too many people just assume a consumer, an ignorant consumer is a good consumer. Right. And we feel the opposite. Right. So that's funny because it's, you know, it sounds like when you're buying quote unquote fresh fish as in unfrozen fish, that is not necessarily a guarantee that it is indeed never frozen or that it is fresh. It sounds like actually, like you're saying, frozen fish is fresher than fresh. Frozen fish is fresher than fresh. Frozen fish is fresher than fresh. Fresher than fresh. You know, the only time I really... (laughs) Frozen fresh is fresher than fresh. The only time I really eat frozen... Excuse me. The only time I really eat (laughs) fresh fish is um, when I catch it myself, Mm -hmm. when I kind of intercept a box that's going to a restaurant. Right. Or I'm in a situation where fresh fish is just... It's right there. Like, I'm I'm either at the dock or we've shipped it somewhere. Most times, I, I myself... And I feed my family frozen fish. Right. Portion, vacuum seal. It's what I've learned to do as a fisherman. And it's what I've learned from fishermen. It's called a home pack. Yeah. You take a a few fish off the boat that you didn't sell. You fillet them. You portion them. You vacuum seal them. And you put them into a freezer. Yeah. And you take them out when you're ready. Right. 
And I feel like that's such a, a the thing that I love about frozen seafood. The thing I love about ordering seafood from you guys is that then you know you bank it all in your freezer. It's you know comes to my door, bank it in the freezer, and you know unlike you know a steak or like a whole frozen chicken or any of the other things that are hanging out in my freezer, I feel like there isn't the same kind of like. Oh well, I didn't thought to the like this morning. I didn't put it in the fridge last night, so it's never going to be ready for dinner tonight. It's like you put some of those salmon fillets in cold water for fifteen minutes, and it's pretty much good to go. Yeah, it's when you get it down to a portion, it's actually really convenient. Right. I mean, you can pull it out and refresh it slowly, or you can put it out into the counter, or you can run it under cold water, whatever makes sense for you. Right. But Opening up a freezer and seeing really good proteins stacked on top of each other, right. that's, a, that's a good feeling. Yeah, it, it makes me feel like, really, you know, not quite like a doomsday prepper, but I feel very like, like I'm in my bunker. If something happened, I couldn't get out my door, I've got a lot of salmon. Yeah, I, I feel rich. Yeah, you know, you know, like yeah, a, totally. well, a well-stocked <laughs> fridge or freezer, you feel good. You know, buying things for your freezer feels like an investment. That's you know? right. Yeah. You're like, it, this is great. I'm not going to have like a crappy meal. Yep as long as I have these things in my freezer. Yeah, it's a little more upfront cost, mm-hmm. but you save on each meal, on each piece. Um, right. It's the same thing. If you find a really good source for chicken, beef, pork, and you go out and you, you know, maybe you do a farm share, right? or maybe you just find a great place for it and you stock up that freezer, seafood should be the same way. And that's something we're working on, just educating people to be more comfortable, because how amazing would it be if you actually got to eat delicious, healthy seafood like twice a week. Totally. And I, and I do think that that's, you know, a big, I think what you're identifying too, and what we were talking about a little bit earlier is like, you know, that kind of anxiety of being in the grocery store and not knowing what the right thing is and not, you know, you know, you're like, of course you can ask like the person at the counter, like, oh, is this fresh? Was this previously frozen? And then thawed, like, where does it come from? But that's kind of stressful. Or it's, like, maybe more than you're, like, down to do at, like, 5.30 on a Wednesday when you're just trying to, like, get some groceries and the store is crowded and, like, you're the sixth person in line. And it's actually just having a source that you – where you know everything is what it purports to be and for it to be delivered and, you know, thawed and used on your timeline. That actually makes a lot of sense. It takes some of the kind of that anxious decision-making and not knowing out of the – out of the picture. Yeah. I mean, think back to the hippies in the seventies who needed organic food and they'd have to like go to the one <laughs> farm and how hard it was to keep your house stocked. Totally. Yeah. You know, early adopters to sustainable seafood are feeling that now. Right. You, you kind of do, got to do your doomsday prepping. You got to, right. when you find your source, stock up. Right. So you don't have to try to, you know, ask those tough questions or go on a rampant search at uh, five thirty when you're just trying to eat a delicious meal. Right. 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 So it sounds like, you know, if, if I am the, you know, the, like, middle-of-the-road American consumer, salmon, shrimp, canned tuna, white fish, and I want to branch out. I, like, know that I'm supposed to be eating other things. What are some of, what are, like, the three other types of seafood that I should be exploring? Sure. And, again, I think you can do an easy switch with wild uh, Alaskan salmon or right. wild domestic salmon you know, wild golf shrimp. Mm-hmm. If you get a chance, look for a West Coast ground fish called rockfish. Rockfish? Yeah. And so I know it's a pretty common name, but mm-hmm. rockfish populations have boomed off of California, Oregon, Washington. So if you're on the West Coast, it should be more and more prevalent and available. Right. It's delicious. It's affordable. 
and it's super healthy. And what's the meat like? Is that what would you compare it to? It's more like a snapper. Uh-huh. It's, it's really okay. you know clean and white. It's got a nice light flake. It's a really sweet flavor. Right. Su- super easy to prepare. Not huge fish. So not you, too oily. Not too no. S- s- you know. Oh, it's easy. I mean, we like to think of it as a wild substitution for like tilapia that mm-hmm. actually tastes good. Right, right, right. Instead of tasting like mud. Exactly. Yeah. Um, if you're on the East Coast, you know, look for species like porgy. I uh-huh. mean, they're delicious. I mean, they're all the rage with hipster chefs. But right. if you can find one in a market and you can actually deal with maybe actually asking the fishmonger to cut it for you and fillet it for you, uh-huh. they do that. They do that service. Right. Um, look for dogfish. M- two of my favorites right now, Atlantic Winter Skate is delicious. Mm. So is that, and does that present kind of the same way that the skate that I'm used to buying at the grocery store yeah. is like? Yeah, it's going to look like um, a fan or, mm-hmm. or you know, um, almost like a scalloped edges. Mm. And it's sweet and tender. It's almost very, it's very seafoody mm-hmm. more than just um, fish. Cool. Um, I love that. And then my biggest favorite these days is squid. Mm. So if you can get your hands on squid, I think, you know, I've never said no to, um, you know, a little calamari, um, you know, yeah. fried calamari. Do you mm. fry a lot of calamari at home? Is that the way you normally prepare squid? No. Uh, you know what? I've been using it more as a center plate and thinking about it as actually a piece of protein that uh-huh. I put into dinner. Um, grilled, pan sauteed. It takes well to spice. It takes well to seasoning. It's, it's you know... In the ocean, it's it's like a bug. It's a yeah. biomass that blooms. It's a really sustainable That's harvest, so um, and it's it's really good. Texture is beautiful, and it's super healthy. It's like yeah. a, it's a great piece of protein. Yeah, I really love just taking the taking squid and just giving it a quick, you know, cutting the bodies into rings and just giving it a quick blanch in boiling water, then shocking it in ice water, yeah. and just eating that as a salad. Oh, so you can pair with so, anything. Yeah, and it's so easy to not overcook it. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, I feel like that's like the, rep, you know, it's like you eat like fried calamari and you're like, it's either rubbery or it's like tender and juicy yeah. and just, you know, just a light touch. Yeah. Well, one of the things we did on our website is we took a number of underloved, underutilized species and created a uh, discovery pack. Mm-hmm. So, so it's like a way to try new fish, spiny dogfish, Acadian redfish, winter right. skate. Oh, cool. So I could get, I can get my salmon and my, my shrimp and the things that I'm used to cooking and also have those kind of like wild cards in my freezer when I'm feeling like I want to play around or look for a new recipe or try, uh, yeah, try a new fish. It's like my spice rack. Like, you know, uh-huh. every, every once in a while I'll go to the supermarket and get crazy and try, uh, ooh, what, what's this, coriander, yeah. <laughs> right? I, I don't know how to use it yet, but, you know, you, you start to adapt it into your life. And then before long, it's just, it's part of your spice rack. It's part of your, your culinary lexicon. Yeah, totally. Well, Sean, thank you so much for all of your this fish knowledge that you just dropped on us. Oh, Mila, I hope I didn't confuse you too much. Frozen fish is fresher than fresh. Frozen Fr- fish frozen is fresher, fresh than fresh. Is fresher than fresh. Wild, wild domestic, sustainable and traceable. Cool. Thanks, Th- dude. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks to Emil and Sean Dimon. And now here is Carla and me talking about how to cook fish at home. Carla, mm-hmm. I'm appealing to you for help. Okay. I'm here for you. I I know I've said this on the podcast before, but I'm not a big fish guy. Yes. And there are there are evenings when Simone, my wife, will say, like, well, 
what, what, what about fish for dinner tonight? And I'm always like, (laughs) and part of it is like, I just, I don't cook fish at home. I don't know if I know how I just, I'm, I'm, I I feel like I'm at a loss. I I think, but is it that you don't like fish? No, because I, I like ceviche. Right. For this instance. is true, which is like raw, which is like yeah. most people are like, Ugh, raw. like people who don't like fish, like really don't like raw fish. Yeah. And I love that. And like, I hate to be, you know, Ponzi guy, but I will be if I have to every couple of years, if I go to Le Bernardin up there on 50, whatever street. And I'm like, wow, that was a delicious meal. And it was all fish. Um, I just find sometimes when the times I have cooked fish or grilled fish, it's like, oh, it's a big piece of fish and it doesn't taste as right. good as a ribeye. Right. Different. So different. different. <laughs> it's very different. So I'm like, so how should I be cooking fish at home, and how do I do it in a way that feels like more restauranty or has more flavor or feels like it's 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 like oh that was delicious as opposed to like oh well, that was our healthy night dinner. Got it. So, but what I'm hearing is you're not afraid. A lot of people are afraid of cooking it. So a lot of the fear about fish cookery and why people only order it in restaurants, there's a few categories, I think. People are afraid of cooking it because they don't know how, they think it's super delicate, or it's going to stink, or it, they're going to overcook it. So like, there's that. I don't think you're... The, no, there is the stink factor, but we, there's, that's more for certain fish. Mine is more of the, how can I cook it in a way that's delicious and yummy, whereas right. I do think I'm pretty good at... You know, I don't want to brag, yeah. but I think I know my way around a piece of protein pretty good. Yeah, regard ir- irrespective of whatever that protein may be. Um, so, anyways, yeah, I, I just kind of wanted some wanted some advice. From, yeah, it's not a know. lack of confidence, is what I'm saying. I think for you, it's more like how can I make it like delicious yes. or more, yeah, just more appealing. Yeah. Not in like a masking the flavor, but actually like making the flavor great. Yes, like a, just like a big piece of cod with some salt on it, like that to me is not delicious. Right, whereas a steak with salt could yes. be like fantastic. Exactly. You right, you don't exactly. need to do anything to it. So what <laughs> should I be doing? Give me some pointers, like how can I make fish? Like I'm looking at Emma over here. Emma, do you ever cook fish at home? Oh, she vigorously Vigorous. nodded, yeah. Her but you know what? almost but see, I don't. I don't believe that because everyone says they do, but if you go on the Instagram and you look at what people are posting pictures of, no one ever pictures post pictures of the fish they made at home it's like homemade pizza night or it's you know taco night but no one's ever i don't see you posting pictures of fish um i posted fish when we were doing the um healthiest food cleanse yeah which one did you post the cod with grapefruit and cabbage which sounds so whatever like so weird you you say grapefruit and all of a sudden i'm like oh Oh, great like i like something acidic i like something bright and fresh maybe some good some fresh herbs on there i wasn't thinking about this dish until this very moment because of what you said but that was like a great okay so so how do you make because like cod is like a in terms of the stinky smelly fish factor that's very low on these the smelly fish yeah one of the great things about cod and why it's a great fish also for kids is it does it has like those big fat kind of moist flakes planks almost yeah they like shear off and they're great um fried like it's a terrific thing for your battered you know raising a hand fish and chips i would also for any listener out there who has not read cod the fish that uh, saved the world by mark kurlansky that is an excellent kind of almost like the history of western modern western civilization told through cod and that is a book that i had never read and finally one day was like you know what i'm never gonna read this book and i put it out on the uh, oh you should totally read it it's a curb alert no it's gone totally curb alerted but uh it's actually a really fun 
narrative from like the literally back in the Viking days and how they literally discovered like America or at least right. Canada, but didn't want to tell anyone because that's where their their cod fishing was going on. They're like, no, 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 we're not going to tell people about this place. Yeah, and then obviously everything from bacala to dried cod, all that right. sort of types of cod, and just right. how it has sustained civilizations for a thousand years. Okay, I love cod. We're not going to okay. talk about salt cod because I already know how no, you I feel about it. You, yeah. yeah, we're not going there. Um, and this recipe was so um, easy and delicious that I made my husband make it, and I simply wow. observed and actually took a Instagram story where he was like, "I don't want to be a clown in your." in your social media feed and i was like sorry too bad (laughs) too bad deal with it (laughs) no but but it um it had charred cabbage it had fresh grapefruit segments okay so i'm looking at the recipe now slow cooked white fish in this case cod with charred cabbage yeah the thing that i like about this method so you had said grapefruit as being one of a flavor that you like that's zesty and bright yeah so it is just salt and pepper a little bit of oil but you grate on the cod, and then you grate some of the grapefruit zest over it, Ooh. which it's aromatic, yep. but it's also going in it at a low temperature. It's like a slow bake, so it's not going to get that acrid, like overly bitter yeah. flavor. And then while that's going, completely hands off, not too hot, not a lot of oil splatter, you char some cabbage, um, and then toss it with mint and the fish and the grapefruit segments. And See, the I juice. love what I love. And it's really juice. easy I love and nice. The, I love the juice. I love the fresh mint. Yeah. The grapefruit. Like I said, it feels fresh and alive. It's almost like it's kind of going back to ceviche. It's similar in that you have like the herbs, you have the acid sort of citrus. Right. But in this case, a kind of a cooked version. Yeah. And the juiciness. It's yeah. not like heavy, fatty, cream saucy, any of that stuff. Not that I don't. Not that you don't like that, but it is—it's nice and bright. Also, this was a winter; it was like a winter fish dish, and it was during the the healthiest food cleanse. Yeah, what did we call it? Feel good food plan. And my husband was doing paleo, so it was like kind of incredible because it fit all of the things. I feel like everyone's doing something. And he doesn't think he's a good cook. He is a good cook, but I mostly do the cooking. So for him, it's like he just assumes it would be better if I made it. And I was like, this is one of those recipes. This is so straightforward. And he made it and we both ate it. It was great. Yeah. There's this other cod dish that we ran a while back um, in October, which I remember October 2015. I'm looking at the recipe online now, which I was like, ooh, that actually looks my speed. Again, kind of Mexican in nature. It's a quick green pozole with cod and cilantro. I love this recipe because I love pozole but usually you have it with you know the the pork head Ooh, and yes. shoulder and all of their dark chilies are you talking about head and shoulders yeah of porks <laughs> of porks <laughs> um but this was cool the only the, and i remember talking to chris about it when he was developing it because he uses canned um hominy which is pozole which is yeah. like the only way that you could pull off pozole on a weeknight but he did there's a couple of smart things in here so you're starting you basically are making your green chili broth so you have shallot, garlic, and some green hot chilies, serranos, and you start an aromatic kind of base with that. And then you puree green tomatillos, mm. which have like, when they're raw like that, not blistered, they have a lot of acidity yes. and tartness and a little like tannic bite to them as well. And then he built that broth with um, a freaking bottle of clam juice. It's such I a great I, shortcut ingredient. Yeah. I can't say I've ever bought clam juice. Well, 
clam chowder with clam juice. Some are better than others. Another yeah. very distinct memory I have is working on the um, Bon Appetit Seal of Approval, RIP. Might be bringing it back, though. <laughs> and uh, we had one of the categories was clam juice. Thank you, Scott DeSimon. Shout out to Scott oh DeSimon. So you had and a we taste had to dip. sip. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it was rough. That was rough. And yeah. the thing is, is like you don't think they're going to be that different, but they are. They are. So um, I think that, that that clam juice is available still if you look at Bon Appetit Seal of Approval on bonappetit.com. And then you poach the cod in that liquid, so oh, it absorbs all the flavor yeah. that you've built the broth with, but it also gives its flavor back to the broth, so you get like a nice, you know, it's not, it's not like you're just ta- tasting clam juice. Yeah, and what's also nice about cod... Like I said, what I, I don't cook cod when I have cod at restaurants. As you mentioned, it kind of slips apart in these planks. So it's not like swordfish or a tuna steak where you need a knife and fork to cut through it. Right. You can poach in a liquid like this and you just sort of like pull your fork at it and it sort of slides apart. You could use a which spoon. Is nice. You literally could with you your with your could. with your pasole broth. So and if you're not getting cod, hake um is a great substitute for it. Yeah. Pollock, I feel like, would also be a good substitute for it. You want something. The thing that's nice about it are, are the big fat fillets. Yeah. Halibut, if yeah. you can afford it and find it, it, halibut would be a great substitute for cod too. Yeah, see, I, all right. So the, what I like about both of these ones is there's stuff going on around in addition it. and mm-hmm. complementing and around the fish. It's not just a piece of seared fish. Like that's where I kind of get lost. So here, like I, I like the broth on the pozole. I like the charred cabbage and the and the, the bright citrus on the other one. All right, so I'm I'm, I'm so, like in a good place right now. But you now. know what's funny? I don't cook fish that much at home either. But I had um, a really nice like one pound piece of um, salmon that was from the Faroe Islands. Weirdly enough, that I got at our, our like good fish place in my neighborhood. And that's where it all starts, right? If you can, if you see a good, yeah. The worst thing you can do is like you get a fish recipe in your mind, then you go out there and you buy whatever mediocre piece. Of, well, they said it well, has to be that's cod. That's what it is. And and like, well, if the cod doesn't look good. But the haddock or some other white fish does get that version. Exactly. And I had it in my head that I was like ideally was looking for salmon. But if if all they have is kind of crappy farmed pale orange yeah. previously frozen, like I'm not going to buy it. I, I got a pound. Okay. Yeah. And in that case, I and it had the skin on. And in that case, I felt like the salt and pepper searing skin side down cast iron skillet. And then I put it in the oven for like eight minutes. It did carry it enough, you know, like the flavor because what the flavor mean? of salmon. Well, you're saying like just putting salt and pepper yeah. on a piece of fish wouldn't be interesting enough, but because salmon, unlike cod, does have a lot of like f- does have nice fat. Yeah, the skin is pretty delicious. the 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 flesh itself has a lot of flavor. So that as a pan roasted fish was like it was really really. So good. you did. Sorry, so you did. Stove top of the skillet like you would do with like a butterfly chicken or whatever, or the butterfly chicken. You got that side nice and crispy. Put it in the oven, still skin side down, I so never it even gets crunchier. Yeah, and then till cooked through till about like medium rareish like or what do you medium, medium rare in the center. And uh-huh. it was that piece of the fillet where there's some of the where it thins on yeah. the on the inside and goes yeah. down towards the belly. But that's like the best part as far as I'm concerned mm. of the salmon fillet. So wait, what, what did you serve this with? So I so what did I serve that with? I made a really yummy shaved um, cauliflower salady slaw. High acid? 
I feel like you need some acid because yes, salmon's a fatty fish. It had acid and it had heat. So it was a recipe I was working on at home that was, I was sort of into the idea of taking cauliflower and giving it the flavors of tartar sauce. Oh, wow. So like a crunchy yeah. tartar kind Ooh, of. Wow. So it's shaved tartar cauliflower. Flour. Yeah, that's why I was talking about tartar flour the other yeah. day. Um, cauliflower, capers, mayo, um, a bunch of herbs. This was the night also that I discovered I, I like dill now, which is like mm. totally amazing. And You know what's really good is that we did that re- we ran that recipe, I think, for Emile's $50 dinner thing where it's a uh, Napa cabbage shaved, mm-hmm. making a slaw, and you do a ton of fresh dill and cilantro. Yeah. And then a lot of fresh lime juice and just a spot of like neutral oil. Yeah. And it's such a good dead simple slaw you're like ooh, like there's something about that dill and cilantro together totally so i definitely wanted something creamy to go with this but also crunchy and then at the last minute i had um i had a a red fresno and i just grated that and Mm. mixed it with um some citrus juice and i tossed that in with the cauliflower so it's like it was spicy it did have the acidity it was mayonnaise it was mm. salty from the capers, yeah. and it was cold. So I like that part of it too. So, like you, have so the that... fish itself was pretty elemental, right? But then you had a lot going on with the side. Yeah. Okay. At Bon Appetit, I've worked here for a while now. Yeah. We keep on talking about ooh, slow roasted salmon and slow roasted salmon. It's yeah. the best recipe. So what the hell is slow roasted salmon? So slow roasted salmon in Bon Appetit, I think, became this like iconic recipe for us um, with the fennel and citrus and chili recipe that Allison Roman developed many moons ago, like, like four, yeah, or like four or years ago. Yeah. It was four. Was it for 13? the citrus story? It was a long time, um, and. I think the genius of it is that for entertaining, it was kind of like a gateway to, yes, you can serve fish to eight people. So you buy a big piece of you salmon. You buy a big piece like, of salmon. Like a foot long. Yeah, a foot long. <laughs> and and then like what, when we say slow roasted, what temperature, like how low are we going? 275, Ooh, which okay. is, you know, low. pretty low. Yeah. And that's another like kind of great thing about it because of, I, I do really like recipes that give you that long and active time so that you are not worried about like if I if I miss it by two minutes or three minutes, yes. I'm gonna, it's going to overcook. It's like it's going to be if, in if the you're, oven. If you're cooking filet mignon and yeah. you overcook it, you're like, oh, that was that's over. But so, it it gets cooked all the way through. The other thing that's that's really nice about slow roasting salmon in most of the recipes, the way that we've approached it is there's a good amount of olive oil in there and there's other aromatics in the pan and again like the fish is flavoring the go with the go with is flavoring the fish and it has time to develop all the all of those flavors and again like it's not a high heat it's not an oil splatter it's not oh danger of overcooking because it is it is overcooking it but just so gently that it's going to stay super tender and moist and not get dried out and not be you know and this um, one, and the recipe, the, the first recipe we did of this version was slow roasted salmon with fennel, citrus, and chilies. We also did one in the April issue. We kind of did a redux of it. Yeah, a, a with month the ago. harissa. Harissa rub. And yep. it's like, yeah, 30 to 40 minutes. So it's right. anywhere in that window in the oven. Um, and you can sort of flavor it and dress it up in a lot of ways. But ultimately, what I love about this original one we did, we sort of, we didn't slice the salmon. We just sort of 
pulled it apart into big after chunks. it was cooked yes after yeah. it was cooked yeah and it just flakes apart yeah. and looks really approachable and then you scoop up some of the oil and the and the fennel with it it's very like oh what this oh, oh, well, yeah. i just threw this together you know, <laughs> what just this like... beautiful multicolored. Yeah. yeah all right so we got that going a couple of different options with the slow roasted salmon big piece good for entertaining like I said, citrus no, and fennel, like you're not trying rub. to get the skin crisp yeah. you're not trying to anything so, so this one you're typically you're sort of like that thing where you sort of pull the meat off the skin you're not serving the skin typically no i think it's skinless when it goes in if not, you don't, if you not, don't you, use yeah. it because that's just going to be a flabby. Yeah. yeah that's that's a, not fun. That's the sort of thing that freaks me out when it comes to fish. I'm like, uh, I don't want to eat that. But. I but, mean, flabby as a okay, food texture is not never good. a good thing. But let's talk about crispy skin fish, which right. I know you wrote about in the April issue. And like, yes. what's our what's our technique with that? So, and then what sort of fish am I buying if I want that restaurant quality crispy? Right. So you want to buy a fish with skin that is palatable, right? So like monkfish and cod and swordfish, you don't, you, we, don't, you're, we don't eat that skin. Why? It's thick and it's um, really car, car, uh, what's the word? cartilaginous mm, that's not good no <laughs> it's like in that uh col- it's very collagen-y and thick and like gross it's just you don't eat that that's right up there with mucilaginous yeah and and flabby so yeah. we're saying terrible no, words about no. fish right now so the you know fish like salmon black sea bass bronzino red snapper where it's a uh, a fish that has like lots of fine scales over it, mm. and that skin is thin and it gets crisp, but it also and you're has a some fillet. You're getting a fillet, it. not not a whole fish. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think like just start with the fillet. Yeah. It is really nice to grill whole fish where you can I'm maximize not, not it. But it's like way too complicated. So, black sea bass, black bass, red snapper. I think those are all like really yeah. great I choices. Like red snapper. And Easy. it's around all the yeah. time, and it's also very mild red yep. snapper. That's like your fish taco kind of fish, mm, like not super aggressive. And I did reporting on this the first time we ran that pan roasting story, and I talked to um, Chef Joseph Centeno from Baco, and I was Baco talking to Mercat. him from Baco Mercat, and I was talking to him about like, oh, if people want to pan roast, which is basically Pan roasting is just starting high heat and then cooking through in a skillet with a little oil. And I was like, if people are looking to do that with fish and they want to get really crispy skin, like what, what, how do you even start? And he blew my mind. He said nonstick pan. And I was like, I, dude, you're a chef. Like yeah. I called a chef for advice yeah. on this. And he was like, honestly, it is... If you are worried about making crispy skin fish, you haven't done it, you're not sure, that is the best possible tool that you can use. You will get a really beautiful golden brown color. It won't stick in any ever ever kind of situation. And you'll get like great results, which I thought was really, really great. Because I think we think about our nonstick skillets for eggs yeah. and like not much else or making an omelet which is a type of eggs. Um, and he, he from a professional standpoint, that is like an ideal tool for pan roasting fish. I think you're leaving a secret out, though. No. What, yes, what did you write about in the April issue? Oh, the April issue was, well, okay, so in the April issue, we took a slightly different tack, which is that we called for a cast iron skillet or any heavy bottom skillet and start instead of starting with hot oil in a in a medium hot pan starting from cold and this was a way to get the fish skin to render slowly 
fish, you know, skin uh-huh. side down without curling up because there's no time for the proteins to. Yeah, so it's typically if you put a piece of fish in a really hot pan, it buckles. It, right. It squeezes in from yeah. the sides and you get that curved edge and then yeah. only the edges are touching the pan. It's like a U-shaped. So this, when you start slow, pressing gently as it comes up to temperature, the fat renders. There's fish fat, you know, you want that to render out. So then it gets super crispy, super glassy. And it's also a great technique. Could I do that with the nonstick skillet as well? I probably could, right? I think that you could. I don't, yeah, yeah, there's no reason why you couldn't. The downside, the reason that, that, that often we don't think of nonstick pans for searing and pan roasting and getting things like nice and crunchy and crispy is that they don't ever give you the same browning the depth of browning Mm, that cast iron or stainless will give you. But when it comes to fish, you're not looking to get it like dark, dark charred like a steak because it does get bitter and like not pleasant and you don't want to overcook fish like that. What about, I know- There is no downside. Having written about this before, uh, Eric Repair will sometimes use like the Wondra flour. Yes. A dusting of that on the skin to give an extra sort of crunchiness. You ever do that? I don't do that. Mm-hmm. I have in my life done that. Mm-hmm. I don't, I actually just think it's an extra step and it's not necessary. All right. No. I think if you're- But if you work at a fancy French restaurant, they'll take as many steps as they can just to make maybe, it- Maybe, but also I think if you're on the line at a fancy fish restaurant and you have a lot of things going at once, having the insurance of knowing that they're all going to be perfectly golden brown because they have Wondra on them- like if I had seven fillets and I needed to just make sure that they were going to be super consistent, maybe that's why they're using Wondra. All right. So say I have a piece of red snapper. Say I get that nice, crispy, brittle, crunchy skin. Like, well, again, all right. So here I am again. It's a piece of fish. It's not as good as like a bone-in pork chop. It's not as good as a ribeye. I still need something with it. I need like that alone is not going to satisfy me. Yeah. I think that the... When we veer into the side of things where you're more in the world of vinaigrettes and salsa verdes and oniony things and going back to your ceviche, like, why couldn't you put a ceviche type of treatment with that? There's no reason why not to. Well, we've done the thing like an escabeche where you sort of like pour a vinaigrette essentially over a fish after it's already sort of crisped up. Yes, you can do that. That we actually put the flesh side into the escabeche to absorb all that flavor yeah. and not like try to soak the skin because the skin is waterproof so yeah. like very little actually penetrates to through to the flesh side but something some sort of vinaigrette again something yeah. acidic a, a, nice, salsa verde. a ginger scallion sauce Ooh. that would have you know ginger scallion um some sesame oil salt pepper maybe some vegetable oil but then like a good amount of rice unseasoned rice vinegar or sherry vinegar to boost that or white wine vinegar yep. to give that like nice you know backbone yeah okay see so you got tangy. all right yeah i'm awake all right i like where we're going with this finally the one thing i have done before which is a lot of fun to do at home fish tacos Fish tacos when you, are fun. When you buy your basic white fish, whatever you got at the market, and I do the little dip where you get like the, sometimes I make the like flour yeah. and like club soda sort yeah. of thing. Like a tempura batter exactly. kind of. Yeah. Fry them up and then you got your tortillas and avocado. But that's and, like deep frying. So you're going from like, ah, I don't want to deal with fish to like, I want to deep fry fish. Yeah, but deep frying, it's, you're like, you know what it is? It, it sort of erases half the guilt. You're like, yeah, but it's fish. As opposed oh. <laughs> to like, it's not bad for you because it's fish that we're deep frying. But it sort of like eases your conscience a little bit. It gives you an excuse 
to do fish, but I'll do like this little bit of slaw, you know, kind of yeah. like Baja California, San Diego style. I got the little slaw. I got the puffy fish. Crispy fish bits. I got the tortilla, a little avocado. Maybe I have a little black beans on the side. Maybe some hot sauce. Oh, well, yeah, not maybe. Yes. Um, so, but when you're setting yourself up to fish, to deep fry fish at home, yeah, is there like a lot of prep? What do in you your, mean prep? In your kitchen environment, like, are you putting down newspaper everywhere for the? Oil splatter. No, and like, like, I'll have like a high sided like Le Creuset, you know. So you got about an inch of oil. You have little strips of so and so white fish, whatever looks decent. Uh, one thing I would recommend when buying so and so sort of white fish fillets, you always got to check for the little bones. Yeah, it's true. And some places are really good at taking them out, and some places aren't. You just got to kind of run your finger along, and you'll feel them. That and I, I've been there with like tweezers, like pliers, like pulling these same. things out. I did the yeah. exact same thing. I got fish that I wasn't that psyched about and it was salmon and I got it home and I was like, are you kidding me? Like the entire length mm. of the filet mm, 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 mm. and I don't have fish tweezers. So then yeah. my husband's like goes upstairs and gets like pliers. Yeah, and literally I was like, from this the toolbox. insane. Yeah. Okay. So I like this. I, I, a, I, I think I just have to think of fish as a component on the plate not just as a single piece of seared protein that's going to be on its own like i need a little something yeah i mean how different is it from like chicken breast really i mean i guess so yeah i'm trying to think of how i all have chicken but i like, do think like you said, would do a paillard with like a really yummy acidic tomato chop chop like some grated raw garlic and herbs and you would put that yeah. over or i'll do like and, a big salady sort of freezy right. whatever or, or or citrus and and fennel and I, yeah, I like to yeah okay all right so i can do that i can do <laughs> more simply simple fish i need some zesty bright citrusy acidic action going on whether that's a salsa verde vinaigrette sort of thing or it could be ginger citrus scallion. ginger scallion which is the best sauce ever grapefruit I'm, capers yeah okay yeah. i'm feeling better about this lemon capers olive oil herbs yeah. you don't even have to do the brown butter part of that but you can okay all right i'm feeling better and i and again i, I do think it all comes back to that first trip to the fish store ask questions what's best that day you have to be flexible. You can't go in thinking like, I need to buy cod. Like, right. well, if the cod sucks and something else looks good. That's right. Buy that. And know thyself. You do not, I would say to you, do not buy sardines. I'm not buying Adam sardines. Rappaport. I'm not buying mackerel. I'm yeah, not buying bluefish. you know you don't like super oily fish. No. We've talked about anchovies before. So you can also, you know, the wine, the fish guys like the wine guy. Like, tell them, I like I like a nice Pinot Gris. You're going to get something <laughs> that you like. If you say, I like the white fish so-and-so fish taco, give me snapper. And they're like, oh, you will like... Bronzino. I'm like a really boring eater for someone who edits a food magazine. I feel like I like I drink Pinot Grigio and vodka <laughs> sodas and eat really bland fish. I would get myself fired. Carl, thanks for joining. Anytime. I can't. I'm looking forward to the new fish, Adam. <laughs> yeah, me too. Later. <laughs> The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Carrie Polis and Christina Che and produced and edited by Emma Wurtzman. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Wurtzman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>